Welcome to Here to There, a podcast about commuting in and around the Twin Cities and where it could go next. From Apparatus and Transit for Livable Communities and co-hosted by Laley Fatahi and Laura Mann Ginsberg, Here to There brings you along for a variety of commutes across the many systems, neighborhoods, and modes available to Twin Cities commuters. In today's episode, we're talking about accessibility and how we can continue to improve our transportation systems and options for people with disabilities. Similar to our Lyft ride through Uptown in Episode 5, Laley and I are taking on the roles of commuters today as we go on an accessibility walk through Highland Park, where we simulate getting around with disabilities. Next, we head to the studio, where we're joined by the Executive Director of the Minnesota State Council on Disability to learn more about the policies that shape the accessibility of our transit system and where we can get creative to find new ways to improve our infrastructure, technology, and mindset when it comes to providing accessible, livable solutions. To follow along with additional resources and information, visit heretotheirpodcast.org and follow the H2T podcast hashtag on Twitter. And now, let's join the ride. Uh, my name is Chensmo Walker. I'm the founder and principal at This Inclusive Life, which does equity trainings, leads accessibility walks. Hi, it's Laura, one of your podcast hosts, and that was Chensmo Walker. She's taking Laylee and me on an accessibility walk through Highland Park today. So today we're going on an accessibility walk where we're going to use low vision simulation goggles and a wheelchair to take people who presumably don't have a lot of experience with disability to go um, experience disability in the public right-of-way in the sidewalk network. So I was going to ask you, um, can you give us a a primer on some of the terms we should be using in kind of the current terms around accessibility? This is really important. If you're like me, you may not feel confident that you're always using the right terms in the right way. Here's your opportunity to learn something very valuable. So the two words to use um, when you're talking about people with disabilities or accessibility needs Mm -hmm. are disabled and accessible. Okay. People with disabilities and accessible. Okay, great. So. Um, like an accessible pathway, an accessible washroom, an accessible parking spot. Mm-hmm. The word handicapped, mm-hmm. we don't like. Okay. It comes from a time when people with disabilities were begging mm. with their cap in hand. Oh, I see. Is where it comes from. I did not know the etymology of that. Okay. So that word... Um, we do not like to use and instead sure. say accessible. Okay. And then when talking about people with disabilities, instead of disabled person, it's best to say person with a disability. Okay, thank you. What are some things that we need to know about uh, about the experience as far as what it is, what it isn't, and some of just the parameters for going along on this? Good question. So this is a simulation walk but it does not simulate disability. We're using low vision simulation goggles in a wheelchair, so the users will know what it's like to use the goggles and be in the wheelchair for a couple of hours in a very simulated controlled environment. How many people do you usually do these accessibility walks with? If you didn't recognize that third voice, that's Laylee, my partner at Apparatus. As I mentioned, we're both along for the journey today, and you'll hear from both of us as we go. Um, It works best with um, 8 to 10. I've done up to 15. And what kinds of people, organizations are interested in these experiences? 
Um, a lot of the district council transportation committees here in St. Paul, I've done three walks for them. And then um, the Regional Quality Council is a partnership with um, the home and community-based services. I just did a walk with them on Friday. Do cities ever have people from their planning department uh, experience these accessibility walks um, to inform the decisions that they're making about, say, the way they build a sidewalk or where they place accessibility ramps. Um, I mean, we know that those are considerations that they are supposed to account for. Yep. Um, when I led the accessibility walk down in this area for the Macrove Community Council and Highland Park District Council, there was a planner from Ramsey County here with us on the walk. So yeah, I think um, cities and counties are definitely an intended audience for my work. Before we set off, we need to learn a little bit more about the science of sidewalks. So the one concept that we're going to go over before we head out is the four zones of the sidewalk network. The zone to the outside where the street is, is the curb zone. And the curb zone needs to be wide enough so that way passengers can open the door of the car without hitting anything in the next zone. The next zone is the amenity zone, aka the furniture zone. All objects should be placed in this zone. The width of this zone depends on the objects that are placed there. Next is the pedestrian zone and the minimum zone. This is where all the pedestrians walk. This is where all the foot travel, the wheelchairs need to go. Um, this minimum width is four feet. The pedestrian right-of-way accessibility guidelines say that it should be a five-foot minimum, but the Americans with Disabilities Act is a four-foot minimum. And also the cross slope is the slope that goes across the sidewalk. So not the slope as you travel, but the slope, the diagonal. And that slope has to be a 2% maximum. And we'll see that today very steeply. Um, and then the fourth zone is the building zone. And that is the zone right up next to the buildings. The building's entrances should be tucked in, or the sidewalk network should be wide enough so that way the door isn't intruding in the four-foot pedestrian pathway. So that's the four zones of the sidewalk, and then the two numbers are that four-foot minimum sidewalk distance and the two percent cross slope. Now I was going to ask um, the pedestrian right-of-way accessibility guidelines, who, who produces those? That's the access board. They're a federal governing body. And they're um, only guidelines as of yet, but once the Access Board approves them, then they will become the law. Let's get our bearings before we depart the Highland Park Library. And where are we going? Uh, we're going to be headed out on um, Highland Parkway, headed over to the Lunds from the neighborhood, and then we're going to go down and check out the intersection of St. Paul and Cleveland um, as we make our way back to the library. Now that we know our route, it's time to talk about the simulation. So I am wearing goggles that simulate legal blindness, and you were telling me what the... Yep, so the goggles simulate vision of 20 slash 200, which is the legal definition of blindness. So you can still see, especially color and contrast. Yeah, I mean, I can make out color, I can make out, you know, shapes and such. Depth seems definitely a little bit... Uh, different than I would usually uh, experience. Yeah. And Laura is in a wheelchair. 
Yes, yes I am. And the simulation starts now with me figuring out how to exit the building. The button to go outside is over there, so okay, I don't so I have to get there? Yep. I have definitely never done this before. And it gets steep quick. Yeah, I'm nervous already. <laughs> so stay straight ahead, because that's the ramp. Okay. To the left is a stair, and then we're going to turn left. Okay, we're now approaching an intersection with a stoplight. And I'm just holding on just in case you go into the Rolling street. The traffic, thank you. It's kind of crazy how close you have to get, though, to the street to push it. I mean, if you lost your hand for a second, lost your grip. Yep, and then the slope is already starting. So yeah. you're already wanting to roll down the sidewalk. Yes. Well, you need to take your hand off the wheel right. to push the button. Right. Okay, wish me luck. Okay, I believe in you. Thank you. How much time do I have, do you know? Oh, there 20, we go. 19. You definitely want to put your feet down, but that's not an option. So this is where you can start to feel the cross slope, huh? Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Cross slope is a geometric feature of pavement surfaces. Many patches of pavement, sidewalks in particular, have a cross slope for drainage or just from shifting over time. As you can hear, it makes for tough work keeping to a straight line in a wheelchair. Much more on cross slopes to come. I have a level with us so we can measure the slope at any point if you're interested. Yeah, let's do it. I am. 1.8. Uh, so what does 1.8 mean? So that's a 1.8% slope okay. from one side to the other side. So and remind us what it can be? Two. Okay, so it's close. It's close, but it's within legal range. Okay. <laughs> so we can legally make me do this? Yep. Great. It's hard. It's hard to keep straight trajectory. Oh, yeah. Because you're losing your balance while you're trying to keep your momentum. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's tough. It's really hard to overcorrect for it. And then there's this nonsense with the driveways. So Yep, the driveways is where we usually experience the cross slope uh -huh. because the cars need to get off the curb. So the reason why actually we went on this side of the hill of the street uh -huh. is because of the cross slope coming up. You can see to the left of us, there's a curb that's flat to let cars go through the alley. Oh my God. Yep. So Laura is trying to cross a yeah. crosswalk right or a driveway right now. I can't imagine. And like I'm in, I think relatively good shape. This is the hardest thing I've done in a long time. I meanwhile keep feeling as though there are street signs on my right that I'm about to run into, even when there aren't. So I just have to throw myself into the crosswalk here and hope for the best. Yeah. So oh. here we see the pole is right in the middle of the sidewalk. Mm. On the other side, there's a fire hydrant right in the middle of the sidewalk. Huh. So if we attempted to go on the other side, I don't know if we could get through. It's definitely not ADA compliance with the fire hydrant in the middle of the pedestrian access route. So I can vaguely make out in front of us what looks like a crane. Some of the areas that continue to be most problematic for people with disabilities is a lot of the accessibility for people who are blind or have low vision, the accessibility of websites, the accessibility of documents, 
the accessibility of any presentations or handouts continues to be a major area where we need improvement. Other than that, the built environment, I think there's always room for improvement, yet the coordination of projects between cities and counties and different jurisdictions can sometimes get in the way of creating a most successful project. A third of the way through, we switched up our simulations. I'm now wearing the goggles and Laylee's in the wheelchair. What's the biggest mistake you see in urban planning or in you know, making, thinking about the considerations that need to be made? Oftentimes the curb cuts on the sidewalk at the intersections don't line up the best for pedestrians that use wheels. But I don't think that's necessarily a mistake. Sometimes they have to be where they are based on all of the considerations that go into building the intersection. But that's something, that's one of my pet peeves, is when I see an intersection that could be more accessible. Um, also, I think the combination of different agencies rebuilding different intersections at the same time or different times and the scope of their projects not aligning to best meet the accessibility needs of the intersection when they're doing the construction. Speaking of construction, Highland Park has a lot of it going on, and that's about to make a big difference in our walk. So we're going over kind of a temporary um, bridgeway. They're doing some construction, maybe some pipe work here. So, Chenspo, should this be also adhering to the slope guideline, or, or are there... This needs to be a 5% slope. Okay. We'll post a link to the checklist doc on our heretotheirpodcast.org website, but rest assured there are very comprehensive instructions for adhering to the ADA's guidelines. 4.7. How did it feel? I, I would not have been able to make it up if you hadn't been behind me. I would have rolled backwards. And, you know, where, where we are right now, there were three directions we could have gone in. Two of them had these temporary ramps put up because of the road construction that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I would have, if I were on my own, probably had to go around the block. If you thought the construction mess was bad, we're now at Finn and Ford Parkway staring at a grocery store on an island. If we wanted to get to Lunds, there's no sidewalk right here. Straight ahead into the parking lot. On the other side, of the parking lot, there's no sidewalk either. There's an entrance down to the right of block that also has no sidewalk into the parking, into the shopping mall. So in order to get to Lunds from here or from Ford Parkway at all, you have to ride in the streets to get to a sidewalk inside the shopping center. You've been here and so you know kind of where the accessible route would be. If it were somewhere new, you could have to go in circles a bunch of times to figure right. out where you're going. Right. So if we're going to Lunds, which we're not, okay. our best choice would be to cross Ford Parkway here at the signalized intersection at Finn and then walk along Ford Parkway down a block and then cut up the driveway, which has a pretty steep slope, and then enter the sidewalk at the edge of the shopping center. Wow. But if you didn't know that, right. we're staring at the main entrance and there's right. no sidewalk and there's tons of cars, including car parking, right where we think we should walk to get to Lunds. Wow. But wait, you think to yourself, surely we can't just have grocery stores that nobody can get to, right? 
An important note on ADA guidelines is that the passage of the act didn't mandate that every building, sidewalk, and city had to get compliant immediately. So often in areas where there's been less investment, we have just been in Highland Village where there's been lots of investment, lots of redevelopment where the sidewalks are wide, they're new. But in areas like the east side or Frogtown where there isn't a lot of redevelopment, the only requirement to update the sidewalk is when you do reconstruction or redevelopment. So um, there are some intersections still in St. Paul that don't have any curb cuts. And are rates of disability higher in poorer communities of color? Yep. So the same ones that have the worst infrastructure from an accessibility standpoint have the highest rates of... Yep. Exactly. I think I should take this little guy. So somebody has put a wheelbarrow and a broom and some shears and a dustpan right in the middle of the sidewalk, taking up the entire width of the sidewalk. In case you hadn't guessed from Lily's narration, we switched again. I'm back in the wheelchair, and it's getting interesting with sidewalk hurdles. Well, and you know, before we were talking about how much more challenging some of this would be with the weather... And it's the homeowners that have the responsibility, usually, for maintaining their sidewalks and plowing them. So, again, just as this gentleman has left a wheelbarrow in the middle of the street, I have absolutely no idea if I'm in the street, if I'm on a curb, where I am. On that note of being interesting, we're at a traffic island of sorts at the Cleveland Avenue-St. Paul Avenue junction, just outside of Highland Village. There are no lights, no crosswalks, and few curb cuts, which puts us in a pretty precarious situation. I think I broke a few laws to get across, but let's move along to a more exciting feature. So now I want to take you past my favorite accessibility feature. Oh boy. Even though it's not... I was going to say, by feature, do you mean in a good way or a bad way? In a very exciting way. Oh, this is... feels like a lot. Am I just tired or is that... That was a hill. Okay. Did you notice it yeah, lately? Can you tell? No. Okay. Mm-mm. You couldn't tell it was coming. I couldn't tell. I mean, like my even going over it. Okay. As a walker. Yeah. Okay. You're brave. What is this? That's my favorite accessibility what is... feature. This is like a thousand times worse than the other one. By this, Lely means that super exciting accessibility feature we were promised, and wow, is it a doozy. Basically, two pavement pieces here have ruptured due to tree roots underneath the sidewalk and put an enormous incline in the walkway. Don't worry, though. So it's fixed. They put an asphalt slab that's 17 inches long. Yeah, but what about that cross slope? 18.3. Whoa! I've not (laughs) had anybody do it. Don't worry, guys. Chenzo just hasn't met someone whose competitiveness will supersede her logic. Whoa. Points for Laura. (laughs) I'll take them, thank you. But that doesn't mean I'd be so hard-headed every day. I wouldn't do that. I mean, if I was doing this every day, I wouldn't, right? Like, I'd learn a way around it. And now I have to cross an alley, which might have people barreling down it. That aren't looking. And as a person without a disability, when you go on a walk, do you think about crossing alleys? I mean, I... I do because I'm usually with a small child exactly. and a dog that are ahead okay. of me, in some, you know, either in a stroller or on a leash. But not in the same way. Not in a way where I'm 
Like I'm much more concerned right now, especially if I was alone, being low to the ground. Yep. And being unable to like, you know, if you're on two feet, theoretically you can kind of sprint across, right? If somebody comes up and you can get out of the way. I, I can't go much faster than this. So I would be at a real disadvantage if somebody wasn't watching and kind of came too fast. I don't know what we'd do. Right. As we wind down our accessibility walk, there are still a few challenges ahead, like a sidewalk strewn with gravel. Debris is often a problem. Yeah. Especially after it rains, there's often puddles at the end of crosswalks or curb cuts. Whoa, it's like a serious off-roading yeah. here. So I'm also thinking about the fact that, you know, in the past you and I have worked some, and I know you work very extensively as well in accessibility issues with vehicle modes of transportation mm -hmm. and we continue to have significant accessibility problems in that realm as well so I mean thinking about the difficulties of being able to get around the urban form in a wheelchair or on foot and then thinking that there's also those challenges with using you know buses or, or cars really makes it all the more limiting. Exactly. So there's three reasons why you would qualify for Metro Mobility, our pair paratransit service in the region. One of them is if you can't get on a bus, meaning though there's no lift. So all of our buses are lift equipped, so that doesn't apply anymore. It was a bigger issue when the ADA was passed 26 years ago. The second issue why you would qualify for Metro Mobility is if you get lost, if you don't have the cognitive ability to know where you are and where you're going, then you'd qualify for a Metro Mobility ride. The third reason is if you can't navigate the sidewalk network to get to the bus stop. And so currently wheelchair users qualify for Metro Mobility just because the sidewalk network in our region makes it inaccessible to get to where you're going sometimes or most of the time, depending on where you're going. You know, we hear from state policymakers about how expensive Metro Mobility is and for the cost. We still hear, you know, from people with disabilities that say it doesn't provide the level of spontaneity because you have to schedule and there's limitations in where the service is. Where I was going to go with that is do you think that if the urban form were developed to be more accessible and there were also affordable, accessible housing, that that would both improve kind of whole-scale accessibility for people with disabilities? We should probably catch her before she... Uh, <laughs> I think that's huge. Absolutely huge and absolutely yes. Um, the construction that we walked by at Ford Parkway in Highland is a new housing development. If that was accessible and affordable for people with disabilities to live in, they have access to the inaccessible lungs, as we pointed out, just down the block and so many things within walking distance that would make their lives so much easier where they wouldn't have to rely on Metro Mobility or grocery delivery to get their basic needs met. Yeah, if the built environment was more accessible, then people wouldn't need to rely on metro mobility as much. That is definitely true. We 
We've returned from our journey and are back in the studio. Lily, how are your hands from the time using the wheelchair? I'm glad the Chensmo had gloves for us because I'd certainly be worse for the wear. But even so, that was quite a workout. It really was, especially on a hot afternoon. It was an incredible experience, and I would highly recommend it to anyone interested in getting a new perspective on what goes into making a truly accessible and livable pedestrian option. And now that we've shared our simulation experience, we're going to move into my studio interview with Joan Wilshire, who's the executive director of the Minnesota State Council on Disability. And she's going to tell us more about the role that policy plays and has been playing since the Americans with Disabilities Act in providing transportation solutions among many, many other solutions that meet and exceed individuals and communities' needs and desires. That sounds fascinating. Let's hear more. I'm joined in the studio by Joan Wilshire, who's the executive director of the Minnesota State Council on Disability. Thanks for joining me today, Joan. Well, thanks for inviting me. Can you tell us a little bit about what the State Council on Disability is and what the kind of work you do is? Well, first and foremost, we now have a new name. The state of Minnesota has a whole new look. All the state agencies, we are a state agency, are going to be looking alike now. We've, in the past, all had our own logos, taglines, um, names, and et cetera. So our new name is Minnesota Council on Disability, MCD. It's not MLCOD like we were before. There's no fish. <laughs> There's no fish in our name anymore. So just to put that out there, MCD, Minnesota Council on Disability. Well, we are a small state agency. We've been around since 1973, so quite some time. And we exist as an advisory agency, state agency, to the public, to the governor, to state legislators, and to the state agencies, and really regarding all disability issues. Now, within that, um, I'm a very small agency, so some days it is hard to do the all part of all disability issues. But you can think of the Council on Disability as a... We're your accessibility experts. So whether that be building code accessibility, being how you get into a building, bathrooms and et cetera that are accessible, to um, digital accessibility, your website, your documents and et cetera, disability awareness training, things of that nature. So we really do a wide variety of things, but it's really all based around accessibility for people with disabilities. How many people in the state of Minnesota have a disability, or do you know what percentage of the population it is? We use the, um, the figure of 20% of the population in the state of Minnesota has a disability. So what is it that the Americans with Disabilities <clears throat> Act provides in terms of accessibility <clears throat> of transportation? I mean, does it just speak to the accessibility of the actual vehicle, or does it also speak to providing a sufficient level of service to enable people to be able to go to work and, you know, engage in their community and all these different things. You know, it certainly does that, but there are, you know, within limitations, you know, and so certainly it does speak to that. But at the end of the day, the Americans with Disabilities Act does not fund anything. There's no money that comes with this. Mm. So that would be the good news, bad news. And everything is within reason. And so we certainly need to continue to work with our government both locally, statewide, and nationally, on continuing to encourage more funds going into the needs of people with disabilities and seniors and veterans for good, adequate, accessible transportation. So how is Minnesota doing in terms of providing accessible transportation options for people with disabilities? You know, um, there's so many that there's a really varied answer. I wish it could be a short one. 
We've got the metropolitan area, which we really do quite well considering um, other states. You know, again, Minnesota is always the leaders um, when it comes to disability issues, and transportation is no different on on being one of the leaders. Um, So certainly in the metropolitan area, we do have quite significant, good, reliable transportation. Now, let's go outside the 11-county metro area. That's another story. Seven years ago, it was actually 10 years ago, there were seven counties that had no, zero, no accessible transportation whatsoever. And certainly right now we're looking at those seven counties. um, I believe they've all gotten some sort of accessible transportation now. However, all that means is they probably got one van with an accessible lift, and now they've got one accessible vehicle for the entire county. That's still barely called accessible transportation. It's not going to get everybody to work like they need to, get to the doctor's appointments, get groceries, and certainly no um, no availability on the weekends. So those are the kind of issues we're looking at. And so, yes, we've come a long way with getting the vehicles accessible and things on that nature, but boy, that frequency and ability and reliability in the outstate rural communities is still quite significantly in a negative tone. Your uh, agency, though, is quite a small one compared to other state agencies. That's correct. That is correct. We have eight people on a good day. Wow. So that must present quite a challenge to provide it does. level of service to so, for so right. many people. Well, we are the only accessibility agency, agency in other words, state agency that works on accessibility issues, um, particularly around the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we really um, have a unique niche. Now, you were saying that Minnesota, though, in general, you see as being a leader nationally in terms of providing service and accessibility for people with disabilities. Absolutely. Certainly, Met Council um, offers a service of metro, uh, metro mobility. That is a service that many people rely on, and without that, people wouldn't be able to go to work and um, get to, you know, wherever they want to live, work, and play, and et cetera. And so definitely we've got some great things going on in the state. And then one of the other things I should say, too, in the outstate rural area is um, the volunteer drivers. That seems to be um, a huge, significant um, piece of their success out there. But with that, we're also running into some technicalities there. And we've lost about 25% of our volunteer drivers due to, it's a Department of Revenue kind of a snafu when they get their 1099. Mm-hmm. Um, is it taxable or not? And so it's been deemed by Department of Revenue in Minnesota that it's not taxable, but many people are still confused about it. And most of these volunteer drivers are retired individuals. And they don't want to have to deal with, is it taxable, is it not? And so they just decide to get out altogether. And it's really starting to impact the rural communities. So that's an example of some really successful program that was created for getting, you know, seniors, um, veterans to and from appointments and et cetera. But now all of a sudden from another SAFU that things are really kind of in turmoil again. Mm -hmm. So that's just how tenuous the subject of transportation is in some communities. We also have a state-level plan, right, that's supposed to provide for the maximum integration of individuals with disabilities into kind of all aspects of society, the Olmstead plan? 
Right. The state of Minnesota in the last few years has been working on their Olmstead plan. And in a nutshell, Olmstead really came about in 1999 um, through a Supreme Court ruling when two individual uh, ladies uh, with developmental disabilities wanted to get out of the institution they were living in. They didn't need the 24-hour care where they were staying. And they sued under the ADA and won. And hence came the Olmstead Act. And what that basically means is, is people with disabilities should be able to live in the community of their choice, where they want to live with family members, friends, and et cetera. And that also means um, the opportunity to look at employment, too, you know, to be asked, do you want to work? If so, what would you like to do? And when you talk about all that, living in the community of a choice, being able to work uh, where you'd like to work, the big part of making that a success is, guess what? Transportation. Without transportation, you're not going to do any of that very well. And part of the struggles here, many individuals, if they've been living in an institutional setting, um, group home or even a nursing home, et cetera, they may choose to stay there because they know if they go live independently somewhere, there may not be transportation. And then they're shelter-bound. And that is just not a good thing either. That is not the intent of the law is to, you know, you get you living on your own and then you're still by yourself and not able to go anywhere. And so transportation is vital with the Olmstead Act and our plan in the state of Minnesota to be able to really um, make this whole wheel go around in the right direction. So as part of that plan, do we have any new kind of efforts in, in the arena of transportation to try to, I mean, advance this goal of enabling people with disabilities to live and work where they would like? There's a couple of initiatives. A new council is looking to be created um, that will involve the Department of Human Services and the Minnesota Department of Transportation working together on the various transportation modes and and so forth. And that's taking place um, statewide, and that really should help a lot of the rural communities. And uh, we continue to look at the Minnesota Council on Transportation Access, a group of um, 14 plus state agencies that work on aging and people with disabilities, transportation issues, meets monthly to um, constantly look at how they can pull funds together with all state agencies, other resources, and move the dial forward on the transportation issues. So it's being looked at continually and trying to figure out, you know, how can we um, do things better and more accessible too. You and I have done a lot of work together in the area of looking at where new technologies or kind of service delivery models for providing transportation could intersect or really maybe even prioritize this issue. Because as, as I mean, it seems like often, you know, we develop these services and then it's a secondary thought making them accessible the Ubers being wheelchair accessible or, you know, even taxi services. Right. Well, and that's why um, we're looking at the self-driving cars. And from the disability community perspective, we are pushing for them to be fully autonomous. And people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that you will not need to have a driving uh, steering wheel or your sight or um, even cognitive ability or your limbs or what have you. You won't need some of the features in the currently cars that we drive, you know, the wheel, and um, need of certain 
use of body parts <laughs> in enabling um, to be able to use a vehicle. And the reason being because we want to make sure that it's accessible for everybody. So in other words, somebody who's blind, who's deaf, intellectually challenged, all sorts of individuals would be able to use the self-driving, fully autonomous vehicle. And why we say that, we want to do this up front the right way, we've learned when the ADA was developed and created 27 years ago, we didn't have the internet and the wonderful PCs and computers and iPhones and all of that. And so when all of the, um, the World Wide Web was created, nobody thought about accessibility. We are now having to you know, backpedal to make things accessible, accessible documents, accessible websites. And so we don't want to do that again with another huge form of technology, which we know self-driving cars is going to be, it is huge. It's um, moving faster than I think anybody thought it would be. And we don't want to have to backtrack and go, oh, sorry, not fully accessible, or somebody's always going to have to be with you, you know, get behind that little wheel and steering wheel and so forth. We don't want that. Let's do this right from the get-go. Make the vehicle itself accessible. I use a scooter for mobility, could drive right in there. Somebody who uses a wheelchair could drive right in there um, with a walker and whatever, walk in there with great ease. Somebody with eyesight, um, intellectual capacity to be able to be with you at all times. So we're really looking at it to be just fully self-functioning and make our trips just fantastically independent. And it seems like there are ways that self-driving cars could also help to complement existing services like a metro mobility. Right. Um, certainly, you know, there's always going to be a need for a metro mobility. That's an absolute but I think to complement it, I definitely see the state of Minnesota purchasing a fleet of self-driving um, cars. The non-emergency medical transportation, which is the benefit for those on Medicaid, that would be a fabulous um, way of really um, honing in on some of the huge costs of funding that transportation, getting folks to and from doctor's appointments, um, avoiding some of the, the fraud that um, can and does happen within that system. And then uh, Minnesota Department of Transportation as well. They currently, by year end here um, in December, will be able to do a pilot with one of the buses. And so that's going to be exciting. Have they been consulting with your office in the development I of this? I sit on one of the committees with some of the engineering folks. And so it's it's interesting to see where they're going with it. So hopefully um, by January, when the Super Bowl is in town, I think they're looking to have that autonomous vehicle driving folks around. That will be kind of humorous to see nobody in the driver's seat. So. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting yeah, to see it. Yeah, it should mm -hmm. be great. And we had worked together with a, a coalition of, of uh, other advocates on some legislation a few years ago that looked specifically at setting up a task force to look at the issues of self-driving cars for people with disabilities as well as to you know, try to fund some pilot studies specifically of developing the technology to serve people with disabilities. And we had quite a bit of success with it. I don't remember ever hearing, ever having anybody push back to say this is not necessary. It just sort of died with the overall transportation package. What do you see in terms of the future of, of that kind of effort? I think it's going to be huge, but there's still some um, naysayers out there. We have so many needs, like many states do. Um, and so um, we're going to just have to find the right 
bucket of money in which to go after and to really help support this to sustain it. And it really needs to be um, an integral part of the overall bucket of money that the state uses. Um, So it's not just Department of Human Services of the Health and Human Services budget. It's not just the transportation budget. It's going to have to be a, a general fund type of situation because it's going to impact education. Absolutely. You know, with buses, with kids and et cetera. I mean, there's ways that this can be, you know, very cost effective down the road. So it's we're going to have to figure out that. And one of the committees I'm on, you know, we're certainly looking at a variety of issues right now of the technical piece, like what does a self-driving car going to need to have on the road in Minnesota from the Department of Public Safety perspective. So there's a lot of technical things that still need to be worked out, but it's um, being addressed. So that's it's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, we've really made the conversation, especially at the legislative level, one that has been so focused on, you know, transit versus bridges and roads. But, you know, I mean, we've already kind of built a transportation system that really is, you know, especially as you're exactly as you're saying, once you get outside mm-hmm. the metro area, it's already been developed in a way that's really predicated on a notion of people owning cars and being able to drive their own cars mm-hmm. and it's a mind shift change in, you know, is Minnesota ready? You know, everybody loves their vehicles. That's why people, I think, are thinking that, oh, this won't come because it's going to be too expensive. I don't envision us owning these self-driving cars. I think it'll all be in a leased mode or and then you lease it by the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you don't lease it for the four-year period of time, or 48 months. I think it'll be similar to the zip car situation. You know, I'll be leasing out our garages for storage. (laughs) Yeah, I think the two contexts that we're going to see the technology in first, one is in the kind of luxury automobile market, Mm -hmm. you know, like your Teslas that drive themselves. And the other, exactly as you're saying, is going to be in the context of these rideshare services. Both require upstream considerations in order to ensure that they are of use to people with disabilities, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. a $150,000 car is outside of the range of most people's <laughs> budgets, um, you know, right. not to mention, you know, people who already are at a place at systemic disadvantage. The rideshare services, right now, the models that we've seen are ones that have been focused, again, in metro areas. We don't see car share services out in greater Minnesota. Right. Well, and I think overall, um, especially since you've done work at the legislature, uh, my agency does, one of the key things that's missing, and it reminds me of a meeting I was um, at yesterday as we're looking at employment issues, all of the issues that exist within the disability community and aging and veterans, because all of these three communities are issues mirror one another. What's not happening is looking at all of the issues together So, and how does transportation impact health and human services? How does it impact employment, the lack thereof? How does it impact education? And then look at the funding from that perspective. It's kind of hard to do because we have separate committees. There's transportation, you've got education, you've got health and human services. And we don't take the time then, if we're cutting one area, how's that going to impact another area? and et cetera, et cetera. That really needs to take place within government if we're going to succeed anywhere. 
And that's really going to be a, the, the challenge is looking, you know, we need people to look at that. That's a really good point. So, you know, looking at how much a, you know, what the return on investment in transportation is in terms of, you know, the contributions to the economy it has, healthcare savings when people are able to access healthcare, right. not just as when it becomes an emergency and the ability of people to, you know, access education and spend money in the going to stores and restaurants and all of that. Yeah. Well, when asked many times, well, what's the most important issue out there that's happening within the disability community? And really, we should all be responding transportation because it impacts everything. If you don't have transportation, you can't Go, you know, get that cure for whatever is ailing you for your health. You can't go visit family and friends, which is another vital part of one's mental health. Um, You can't get to work. That's a huge issue we see over and over again for people with disabilities is getting to work, finding the, the best transportation that's reliable and will get you there on time and so forth. That is huge. So, you know, transportation, it really makes the world go round. And without it, you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. Couldn't agree with you more, Joan. Thanks so much again for joining us. Great. Thanks for inviting me. Here to There is produced by Apparatus, Transit for Livable Communities, and Studio Americana. Your hosts are Laley Fatahi and Laura Monginsberg. Production and editing by Ian Lovett with Studio Americana. Original music supplied by Bubba Holly. No part of this podcast may be used or reproduced without express written consent of Apparatus. To join the ride, subscribe to Here to There at heretotherepodcast.org on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to leave us a review and rating. Stop by the heretotherepodcast.org website for additional content, including extended interviews, an interactive commuting story map, pictures and videos from our commutes, and much more.